Welcome to the panel, RNZ National, Michelle Langston and James Elliott with me today. Now, a state of local emergency has been declared uh, both in Tasman and Nelson. So the Mai Tai River in Nelson has risen very quickly, homes uh, being evacuated specifically from the Nile Street area. So you'll hear more on that and other areas on RNZ today and throughout the evening. First up, though, All Blacks coach Ian Foster will take the All Blacks through to the Rugby World Cup. The New Zealand Rugby Board has announced, uh, they announced it at 2.30 today after a review performance. Joe Schmidt, the Kiwi coach who helped turn Ireland into a world rugby power recently, had has been added to the All Black coaching staff under Ian Foster. The, the New Zealand board, Rugby Board Chair Stuart Mitchell says the board has been unanimous in its decision to continue with Ian Foster as coach and he praised the steel of the All Blacks and its coaching staff in winning at Alice Park in Johannesburg. With us is sports journalist Hamish Bidwell. Kia ora, Hamish. It's a wonderful day, Wallace. All's bright in the world again. I know the weather's a bit bleak, but All Black rugby's bright and prosperous. Well, let's talk about Hamish, and always good to have you on. Uh, so here we have a person who had uh, the record of the worst for a coach in the professional All Blacks era. What, 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 how do you make the decision? A surprise decision? I think inevitable decision, decision really. Um, they waited too long to make the right call, which was to relieve him of his duties when his assistant, John Plumtree, and Brad Moore were sacked after the Island Series. Foster should have gone with them too. Um, and by waiting so long, the All Blacks uh, New Zealand rugby painted themselves into a bit of a corner. The team unexpectedly won last week. It would have been a bit grim to sack the coach. But I think the reality is they didn't have anyone who wanted to do the job, anyone else, I should say, and I don't think they had any appetite to pay out the contracts of their existing coaches and hire a new one. Um, so they can dress it up however they like. Um, they didn't have the guts and the wherewithal or even the candidates to get rid of Foster. Um, the one bright side is that Joe Schmidt's coming in, and the more control he can exert over the team, the better, because he's actually, across the rugby landscape, one of the finest coaches there is. Right. Earlier this month, Hamish, uh, Scott Robertson dropped uh, a bombshell saying he's open to offers from rival Test Nations. Uh, Have we lost him? I would assume so. Uh, I I would be surprised if he wanted the job if it was offered to him on this occasion. Uh, He should be looking at South Africa, Ireland... England, uh, possibly Wales, France, teams of that ilk to coach in the future. He has a, a year to run on his deal with New Zealand Rugby as coach of the Crusaders, but he would be a fool to stay around. He's, they've made a fool of him previously um, when Foster was appointed in the first place. They needed a, a patsy to act as a pretend candidate in, the, in a head-to-head battle with Foster. It was never a head-to-head battle. Foster was succeeding Steve Hansen. He was being anointed. There was no process there. So Robertson was made a fool of there. He's hung round, he's made all the right noises, he's kept winning titles, and that hasn't been sufficient. So he needs to move as fast as he can to get out of New Zealand. Okay, so pretty big news this afternoon. Let's see if our panellists uh, have uh, any thoughts or comments or questions on this, Michelle. I mean, I'm not a rugby person, but I have kind of been following the commentary around Foster and his coaching with a little bit of interest just because this is very dramatic, the sport, isn't it? Very dramatic. Um, but I just hope, I mean, now the decision's been made that everyone can move on and just, you know, the incessant insult hurling at his coaching can maybe stop right. and everyone can just regroup. It's quite bleak watching the way so many people attack a coach because the team isn't winning. I mean, it's sport, you know? It's, you can't win <laughs> just, all the time, yeah. should you? 
just get on with the game. Um, stay there. Hamish yeah. will bring uh, James in. Well, I was playing golf on Saturday, last Saturday morning, met two lovely South African guys, Herman and Philip, and they very kindly didn't bring up rugby until the 10th tee, which I thought was very polite. Uh, and But once it was brought up, it was a subject that didn't go away. But we shouted them a beer at the end of the game for the first test result, and we shouted them a second beer in anticipation of the second test result <laughs> on the Saturday, which didn't go our, didn't go our way. But I, I, I'm interested in Hamish's theory, that, which was sort of my understanding, written by others as well, that Scott Robertson, even if he'd been offered the job now, would turn it down because too close to the World Cup to make the changes that you'd think that he would want to make. Would that be the reason, Hamish? Not a long enough period of time to to do the things that he would want to do from top to bottom, culture, front room, back room, all that, all that stuff? No, he, he could have turned it around in five minutes. Um, I think it's more a personal pride thing. I think it's more a result of I've been snubbed and unwanted and he's potentially got the pip and, uh, and, and wants to go elsewhere. And I would encourage him to do that because he has been treated very shabbily by, by New Zealand rugby. Um, we have a man, an Ian Foster, who is the head coach with, with far less credentials than Robertson has, and yet we continue to make every excuse for Foster. We're now all the establishment bozos and stuff shirt types are going to say, well, this is fantastic, and, you know, sanity's prevailed, and those idiots in the media, they can, you know, all that kind of stuff. And we've, we've, we've gone for the status quo. Oh, the status quo is so awesome at times, isn't it? We can't get enough status quo. Like, actually, this needed a bit of a revolution, <laughs> and Robertson would have provided that, and he, he, he ought to go and as far away from New Zealand as he can. Hey, nice to have you on, Hamish. Kia ora. Thanks, uh, as always. Uh, that's a sports journalist Hamish Bidwell there on the announcement this afternoon that uh, All Blacks coach Ian Foster will take the All Blacks through to the Rugby World Cup. Let's see what happens uh, in the next test on August the 27th, not far away, against uh, Argentina. The panel, Michelle Langston and uh, James Elliott with me this afternoon. The Reserve Bank has raised the official cash rate by 50 basis points to 3%, its highest level in seven years. It says borrowing costs need to rise to bring inflation, currently at a 32-year high of 7.3%, back under control. But that would add even more pressure on households. Uh, Just a reminder, mortgage rates, they've gone up um, from around 2% to 5% of the past year. With us is Velocity Financial Director Brendan Ojala. Brendan, welcome. Thanks, Wallace. So the OCR taken to about 3%. Explain, what will this mean? Well, that's as predicted, really. Um, And so... It's kind of status quo in terms of what what everybody was thinking was going to happen. What will probably happen is the banks will probably raise their floating rates by half a percent um, if they're good to form. Um, And so that will affect uh, borrowers' floating rates. Uh, Fixed rates won't necessarily move by that because they're determined by a bunch of different things. Now, um, the move could cost the average household, say if you're on a, a mortgage of... Six hundred thousand uh, dollars. Many arts, quite a few are. Um, uh, how much would you be stung for every week? Okay, so it all depends on if you're on a floating rate or a fixed rate. If you're on a floating rate, it's likely that in the next week or so your mortgage will increase by about sixty dollars a week. If you're on a fixed rate, you may have been sheltered from that because your fixed rate may not roll over yeah. next year. Or you may have already taken the hit in the last few months, like most people have. 75% of, of the market has already taken that hit. 
Um, and so it all depends. But yeah, but if you're on floating rates, there will be that $60 a week hit if you're on a 600k mortgage. Gosh, mate. I'll, I'll, I'll get the panelists to jump in. Uh, but for just from me, uh, Brendan, for, so for first home buyers mm. that bought when prices were at their peak uh, last year, mid of last year, could they find themselves with mortgages larger than what their homes are worth? Yeah, so, so that's a different question, really. So that's around the um, that's around the um, the the value of the home, and, and the yeah. house price is dropping down. So that's a different question, really. Um, but if you got a mortgage last year with a ten percent deposit, then it's not impossible that you'll have a bigger mortgage than your house. Now that's only an issue if you then want to sell. If you're going to hold on to your property in time, that will correct itself. Yeah, but there are people who may, a small percentage of people may find that in the situation. And there are a lot of people who will be um, having to tighten their discretionary spending because their mortgage payments are absolutely increasing and have increased over the last year. Uh, here we go again, Michelle Langston, tightening <laughs> the belt wherever we can tighten it. Uh, it's feels uh, never-ending, huh? I just thought I would I would like it to end. It's so yeah. it stresses me out so much. We bought our first home in May, and I just honestly felt immense relief the second that I knew that well we've fixed our we've done a bunch of things, but we've, our mortgage is fixed, and so right now I'm we're kind of okay. But I'm already afraid of when our mortgage comes up for renewal and what like what what the situation is going to be like. It's horrifying, and like I'm a privileged white middle class person with a lot going for me in my life and and we're doing it tough i just cannot understand how how, how people are managing it's just horrifying brendan yeah look it was absolutely it's tough and um to be honest i think those rapid increases in fixed rates have happened now um, there is likely to be some increase, but I think they'll be slowing down from here. But Michelle, you're absolutely right. It is scary, and the need to work through the what ifs in the year or so are really critical. Um, yeah. Banks would bank, banks would argue that when they gave you that loan, they factored in a higher interest rate, and they did. So the bank, when, when they when your interest rate was two or three percent, the bank was assuming that interest rate was five or six percent. So in theory, that's been priced in, but, but people's budgets are all different. Uh, yes. And it's, an, it's an absolute shock for people, for some people, absolutely. Yeah, can what? I just say that if we weren't on fixed and we were floating and our mortgage went up by $60 next week, mm. that would significantly influence um, our ability, what, what food we buy, how we pay our bills. If, like, it would, that would make things really uncomfortable for us. It's a lot of money, that, eh? One twenty a fortnight. It's all our fruit yeah. and vegetables for a week, you know, where, yeah. where I get my fruit and veggies from. That's, yeah, it's massive. Oh, man, James. Mm. Well, I, I've not a slightly different perspective, but I think my experience has been shaded by my own history. So I bought my first house in the year 19 Mumble, and delighted at that, <laughs> at that time that interest rates had come under 20% for the first time. So over the last 10 years, I would say every time there's been an opportunity to fix rates because they've been dropping, I've gone, let's fix them because they can't possibly get any lower than this because that's my, that's my memory. And they've dropped and they've dropped and they've dropped. So I've always been on the wrong side of fixing rates, fixed at a rate the bank offered and then the floating came lower. We're now at the point, I think, we're at the bottom of that hockey stick cycle and the floating rates are sort of going up. So yeah, absolutely tough. But um, uh, as Brendan was saying, the banks are, have been stress testing, I think is the term they use, isn't it, for your yeah. ability to service 
on an assu- and the interesting thing would be what's the assumption that they're making? How high or how much uh, more increase are they factoring into their assessment of your ability to pay? But as Michelle mm-hmm. says, that's all very well doing it in theory, but when it hits an actual household, it's different. It's very different. Mm-hmm. It's very different when you get that in case. Yes, we've just been, uh, um, Brendan, doing the budget ourselves in our own household mm-hmm. and just saying, okay, there's a lot of money uh, going out again. Um, just yeah. uh, <laughs> sitting down with the spreadsheet go, oh, that comes out of there, that comes out of there. I mean, as you say, Michelle, uh, everyone uh, really is, is, is doing it. Just f- finally, Brendan, before you go, uh, you are a uh, financial director. Any, any bottom line advice you can give us? Yeah. Hey, look, everybody's different, right? And so getting some advice before you click that button to refix. Um, in some ways, there's no way to hide. Your mortgage rates are going to go up. But um, having that budget done, talking to a professional about your options. Um, look, for some first-time buyers, they might have to have boarders living with them, you know? Um, and we haven't right. come across any client who has to sell at this stage, and we hope we don't get there. But but I think taking a breath, um, cycles come and go, um, and just working through that with people you trust um, to kind of work through your options is pretty key. Sure. Nice to have you on. Thank you uh, very much uh, for that. Talking about the OCR, Velocity Financial Director, Brendan Ojala, raising my 50 basis points to 3%. Uh, that's... Uh, was the announcement uh, today. Now, speaking of property values, it's not just the OCR, is it? The changing climate also starting to impact on property prices and valuations and insurance premiums. Properties worth $1 million on Wellington's Petone uh, foreshore could reach hundred grand a year to insure in 20 years. Uh, one climate risk expert says research from a couple of years back showed insurers were likely to stop fully covering some coastal homes in the likes of Wellington and Christchurch in the next 10 years. It's a tricky issue for councils with some homes being caught inside these hazard lines. That means potential buyers receiving a warning on a property's limb report. With us is Professor Troy Bayes, and he's a principal investigator at Tepunaha Matatini. He's an environmental scientist, climate scientist. Professor Bayes, welcome to the panel. You're well. But you're also a homeowner. In fact, uh, your home is uh, affected in this as well. Well, yeah, some of my homes in Eastbourne, it's actually relatively high. Um, but then I think the mascot for Eastbourne is really the road, right? So I th- a lot of times you see the footage of the Eastbourne road along the harbor during storm surges. So it's not the average sea level. It's what happens on a day with a big storm. And you see... And I've taken some video and put it online. It had 20,000 views of, of waves crashing across cars, people out picking up uh, big pieces of wood off the road and moving them to the side. Um, so that's what we're talking about here is not just the houses themselves, but yeah. also um, the ability to access them. Yeah. So you, uh, you, you, your, your, your stance is interesting, Troy. You do support moves to you know, warn buyers about climate hazards, but what you're saying is that uh, uh, the, the forecasting, the, uh, the, the councils use the research, you've got a high forecast, a middle forecast, and a low forecast, and you say the councils unnecessarily, in your opinion, use the high forecast, therefore um, meaning that you would have to stump up for a lot of money. Well, potentially. So yeah, yeah. I, I think nobody quite knows the answer at this stage, but yeah. the most important thing is I believe it's tomorrow. We had a, a meeting in Eastbourne that tipped me off onto this issue some weeks ago, and tomorrow the um, council will release some plans that are going to contain 
maps that are largely, as far as I could tell, based on the um, hottest possible climate scenarios that have been put out um, under the IPCC banner. And that's now a, a climate scenario that most of us who've been involved in emissions research don't think is very likely. Um, it looks like the world's on a sort of mid-range path, and we hope to get that down further through the action under the Paris Agreement and reductions. But why shouldn't councils use the uh, upper scenario? I mean, some might say that's responsible mitigation. Others might say, gosh, look at other forecasts and uh, look at any climate change pattern. And, uh, for example, the Antarctic, it's going way beyond what was forecast. Well, absolutely. So what the guidance seems to be and what most climate scientists like myself would say is a responsible use of the upper scenario is to use it as sort of a sensitivity analysis. And if you carefully read the guidance, that seems to be what it's actually saying. Um, In other words, that means, hey, have the councils, whenever they're doing something, look and see if it actually comes out as as being a possible issue. But then if it is a possible issue, by all means, we need to use a range of reasonable scenarios. And the hottest possible scenario isn't the one that we should be basing our future actions on unless we really think it's likely. Not reasonable in your views, and there's going to be more about this uh, coming out tomorrow, as you said. Start with James first on this one. Yeah, I think it's interesting because essentially what we're talking about here is an economic issue, the value of homes, the the damage, who's going to foot the bill and all the rest of it. So to my mind, it would be interesting to have some more detail about the attitude of insurers, because it seems to me that they would have the most rational and logical response to the market. So are they offering insurance in certain areas? If so, for what premium? Bearing in mind, they don't have to offer insurance at all. I'm quite sure there'll be some areas of worldwide insurance in relation to crops growing, for example, or other areas. It's already happened in where New Zealand. Insurers are pulling out of the market, going, we simply, we simply can't accept any degree of risk due to the uncertainties of climate. So what insurers are doing and how they're pulling back in certain areas, I think, would be the, probably the, the, the most you know, efficient or, or realistic yeah. indicator. Stay there, Troy. We'll get a response or a question or a thought from Michelle as well. Yeah. Um, just to kind of tangentially, when we were looking for houses, we were looking in West Auckland and there'd been quite a lot of flooding and our friends had actually lost their house completely um, oh. uh, in West Auckland. And so when we, ever we got a limb, we looked and, they, you know, they've got the, the flooding thing, particularly yes. if it's a flood overpass. They use terminology like an extreme weather event, one in a hundred year flood. And the second that we saw that on any limb, we went, nope. And moved on because it just seems like the increase in climate issues. And, you know, we were talking earlier about the really awful weather hitting the South Island at the moment and the Upper North Island, that those things, I think, should be, people should be looking for those on limbs already, looking for flooding and all of those risks. And if there are rivers close by or like, you know, all of that kind of stuff, because it's it's becoming increasingly likely increasingly likely that those things are going to create problems, right? And that's the wider issue, isn't it, Troy? Um, I I did the very, very same thing. You look at the Lyra report, you see those red dashes, uh, the floods, and you go, hmm, okay. That's right. So I think the the key points here are really that you should expect in the future to get this on your limb report at some level. The, The announcement from Hutt City Council for a plan change tomorrow, as I understand it, is actually going to be about the densification. In other words, where can you actually build three houses, three stories on uh, sections, and where should that not happen because of sea level rise? Currently, we have, you know, good sea level rise maps that have been put out by the sea level rise program right around the coast. But a lot of people will be surprised where the impacts of storm surges can happen. They they work their way back up rivers. And for example, around here, it's not 
that's actually well behind that from Jackson Street out to Alice Town or much lower. And if you look at the regional council's maps of what's at risk, it may surprise people. Very interesting. Uh, Professor Bayesden, thank you very much for being with us uh, on the panel. That is uh, Troy Bayesden. He is a climate scientist uh, and uh, one of those in uh, Wellington whose homes is directly affected uh, by uh, this issue. Uh, A completely different topic here. If you decide to surprise (laughs) someone (laughs) with a big gift or, say, a spontaneous event, should you get their buy-in first? A woman decided to surprise her boyfriend for Valentine's Day by booking a trip to Paris. It was a surprise holiday. It was for Valentine's Day, as I said, and she had always wanted to go. But he was angry for not consulting him, saying that she was selfish. She paid for all the flights. So you first, Michelle. What if, here's the scenario. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I just have got so many thoughts that I just don't even know where to start. Let me me paint the picture. You get home and your partner, husband says, darling, open this card. Surprise, you are coming to the City of Romance with me. And you ask, where's that, Christchurch? He says, no, Paris. And he decides to book this trip without your input, Michelle Langston. You had no say in the itinerary. What do you think? I just think if you love someone and they really want to go to Paris, go with them. If they've paid for the tickets and paid for everything, just go with them to be a nice person. Like I just cannot believe that you would call someone selfish because they bought you a trip to go to Paris because they'd always wanted to go. Go to Paris or go away forever. Like, no, that's no. just so abominable. No, because this is her trip, really. Eh? That's what we're seeing. We're but, seeing but who cares? It's Valentine's Day. You know? <laughs> just, be not, like, just be a nice person and go to Paris for a weekend. Is it the end of the world? If someone, if I was going out with someone and they were like, a surprise, I'm, I've bought us a trip to Gore for Valentine's Day. In my head, I'd probably go, okay, no offence, Gore. Maybe I don't <laughs> want to go there for Valentine's Day, but this person clearly does. I love this person. Let's go to Gore and have a really good time. Uh, Do you know what I mean? Like, well, I think. Right, actually selfish here. Ranul says this This lady has an easy choice. Ditch the ungrateful idiot uh, and find someone who would appreciate such a generous gesture. I'm not, I'm not so sure on this. I think that because <laughs> because the thing about it is a successful relationship, James, is all about communication, isn't it? Right. Right? Oh. And, I love how you're trying to make the case whoa, whoa, for this. Whoa, 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 whoa. What's that all about, Michelle? It's, isn't it, am well, I right? Yes. It's you get sure, but like you're talking about you, you if you're dating someone and it's a spur of the moment, you let's go to Paris when it's Valentine's Day. It's not we're five years into a marriage, we've got three kids, I'm sick and tired of you. It's like come on. It's what, what the story was I would missing argue is... if it is about communication, then they would know that you love Paris or that you'd always wanted to go and that you're the kind of person that loves spontaneous trips. They'd understand that that was your love language and they'd oh. just get on with it or break up with you because you're incompatible. I hope Michelle's partner is listening to this. Well, Sandy, Sandy says, what a, what a complete plonker. I hope she went to Paris on, on her own. <laughs> correct, Sandy. That is the correct response. Benedict says, I'd love to be gifted a trip to Paris. Please pass on my details if anyone's offering. James, I want to hear what you, you well, think. So what, what, I was, you, you open a card and yes. your, your, partner, your, your wife says, um, I've booked us this. We're going to... Uh, the Maldives, and you say, well, I don't want to go to the Maldives. Yes. I, I want to go to Tokyo. Yes. Oh, look, you go. I mean, uh, I've been the recipient of these sorts of surprises. 
Uh, and sometimes they're more, they're a surprise. Well, they're a surprise because I forget to put them in the calendar. I've been told. Then I've forgotten. And when they happen, they're a huge surprise. But what was missing in this story is what was this guy wanting? What were his expectations? He strikes me as the sort of guy that would rather go to Valentine's the restaurant than, no offence, Valentine's, particularly Valentine's in Gore. Um, he's the sort of guy that would rather do that. So, yeah. It's it's not it's hard to make the case for him. It really uh, is. I'm not quite so sure. I'm not sort of convinced <laughs> on, on either of your arguments. Well, there. What's not... your take, Wallace? Then, if that's well, the case, I just I love I, what's the rationale. Well, I, 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 all I think is that um, the person that I um, am a partner with has just gone on, gone out and spent twelve thousand uh, dollars on a trip and hasn't consulted uh, with me on that. Um, it's not like you're buying a. A, 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 a nice candle, you know. <laughs> it's not like you're buying a, a, a nice um, a, a, a drying rack. A drying me. rack, or, or, or you know, something. A drying this, rack. This is a this is a trip of thousands of dollars, and you haven't talked to me about it. I don't know. Anyway, your thoughts. Um, uh, you're on the panel, RNZ National. <laughs> Michelle Langston and James Elliott with me. It's time for headlines.